0: I'm just getting my regular glasses on today. I ended up practicing like that, and it's fine. And I put the other ones on, and it kind of blurry. I do And it's messing with me. Interesting. No,
1: until we can get some things solidified, we'll kind of just join.
2: Okay, good morning. Welcome to Falls. I'm going to get us started. Uh, if you're online with us, we welcome you as well. Uh, I have some announcements. Everything's on the back of the bulletin, but I'll just read it again. Uh, the, pot, the pot blessing uh, has been postponed. We got too many folks sick and it just wasn't working out well, so we had to kind of put it off probably a little bit after Thanksgiving. Uh, coming in December for the students, uh, the extraordinary Christ Mass who you're going to bring and that you have a year to find some friends uh but we have a year in order to uh to pray for these people and one of the things that we're talking about in that prayer meeting is we don't need to wait for will graham uh to come in here and do this it ought to be done before he gets here uh so this is a list. You can put some specific names down that you're going to pray for, that you're going to bring, that you're going to make that effort to get them to come uh, to Will Graham. But there's no use in waiting on September 24th or whatever that day was. Bring them to Falls. Bring them wherever. We want to get people in now. Uh, we don't need to be waiting. I'm going to read scripture. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, any birthdays or anniversaries that somebody's willing to fess up to? Oh, here. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read scripture and then Mark is going to come up and we're going to pray over the the Christmas child boxes. I didn't say anything about that. I'm going to let him take care of it. Uh, and this morning in Sunday school, we read Haggai and we're reading the first chapter, probably the first seven verses. And the people had gone back to Jerusalem to build the temple, but they weren't building the temple. They had quit. They were taking care of their own things. They were worrying about their own, uh, houses instead of god's house uh because and and this relates to us i think uh in the way that we get busy with our own personal lives and we're not worried about building god's church his temple here on earth uh so i'm going to read this as just kind of a as, as a way to remind us that we don't need to be waiting around we need to be working for god uh and he will bless us when we do. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Zahodak, Zahosedach, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time is yet not come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? Is it time for us to take care of our lives and our worries while ignoring God's uh, timing and plans? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvest little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves but you're not warm and he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes so it it doesn't amount to anything thus says the lord god of hosts consider your ways we need to be about god's ways let's put him as our priority Uh, and we need to be doing the work that will graham is going to do but we need to start now we need to be doing that work for god uh mark if you want to come up we'll go through the blessing
1: Well, I'm very excited about what transpired over the weekend with our Operation Christmas Child, and um, it was kind of... Uh, a slower start so it kind of i was kind of chewing my fingernails over at first when we only had five boxes but uh, actually everyone here has chipped in and blessed us with so much stuff that yesterday we were able to have the youth pack these boxes and um, they packed for a solid hour and they packed well i mean we had about five or six boxes packed privately but other than that we've got a total of 32 boxes now that we can send um, to these kids overseas and I I guarantee you I've kind of overdid it with the, the videos for them just showing them the difference that these boxes make as they go overseas and they land into the laps of these little kids that did not expect any Christmas at all and on top of that, Will Graham or the Franklin Graham um, operation here actually takes the gospel to them. So they, they learn about the gospel as well as getting these nice little gifts that's going to last a lifetime for them. And that's going to be a solid memory for them. So um, congratulations. You guys can give yourselves a hand. That is Awesome. I mean, we were hoping for forty, but we got thirty-two, and that is fantastic, especially during our transition time. So, what I'd like to do now, if everybody is good with that, and if you are able and you want to come up here and just put your hand on the boxes, we want to bless our boxes and um, say a prayer over them, and where they're going to end up, Um, we we don't know, you know. So, um, if those of you that filled out a box kept that little card you can follow the box when it gets to its certain point and you'll know what the ending destination is and that's kind of really neat in a way to see where it where it finally ends up so um but if you'd like to come come on now and we're gonna bless these boxes you know you just put your hand on the box or if you can't reach it you know just come on down front I know that's a little different. It kind of makes everybody uncomfortable. They have to get up and get moving and get around these boxes. All right. Wait for everybody. And I, I just, again, I thank you guys for everything that you guys have contributed, that you've done, that you've supported um, with our youth, and being able to do this, and it does make a difference, I guarantee it, and, you know, hopefully we'll we'll see the results of that coming down the road here. So let's pray over these boxes. Father, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that you just um, bless each and every one of these boxes that are represented up here on this table, Lord. Lord, you you allowed us so much blessing in this country. And Lord, this is just a little bit of what we're blessed with all the time here in this country. And these boxes are going to go out to uh, all destinations only you know. And Lord, we just pray for those recipients that are going to receive these boxes lord that the gospel will be presented in their lives lord in the in a way that they can understand it in a language that they can understand lord so that these might come to know you lord just from a simple shoebox that we're we're doing right now And Lord, I pray for all the workers that are involved with this process, Lord, as they go to their prospective places, the warehouses to get checked, and through the customs and the places, different places that they'll end up and they'll go, Lord, I pray you bless those that are involved with that process, Lord, to let let the process go smoothly so they reach their ending destination intact for these kids to open, Lord, and Lord, we just Pray your blessing upon um, just the ministry. We pray that um, that these boxes will will not be the end of. Uh, the actual growth process spiritually for these kids, Lord, that they will actually be able to take these and this will be a beginning for them in their spiritual lives, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you for all the many things that you've given us, Lord, and we, we send these off with your blessing, Lord, and give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you, everyone.
0: welcome everyone today. Uh, If you wouldn't mind standing today, we'll start a worship service with uh, some hymns and uh, just praise God and, and these hymns. Our first hymn today is number 407, Because He Lives. is 334.
2: all things in our lives, God. I pray that you uh, continue to bless us and I pray that we bless you, God. As we give back to you, I pray that you multiply uh, just as these uh, boxes will go out. I pray that they will be multiplied. I pray that this this money that's given to your church uh, will be multiplied too to do your work. In Jesus' precious name I pray.
3: Good morning, friends. It's good to be back with you again. It has been a few weeks since I've been with you, and uh, we're going to be actually bringing a a word from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and so where I was with you last time, I think we were in the first chapter, and so we're going to skip forward a little bit, and this basically puts you all right in line with the other congregation uh, that I'm going to be preaching with today. Uh, As soon as we're done here, I'll be making my way back to the Sunday school room where I was there this morning uh, with a great uh, Sunday school lesson from Haggai, I appreciate that. Uh, I'll be doing the Chinese service, and so I'll be preaching to the English congregation there uh, this, uh, just a little bit later on today. So if y'all had, had a potluck, I don't know where I would have done my Zoom. Uh, probably uh, some quiet room somewhere around uh, the building. Uh, but no, I'm grateful for you guys. I'm grateful for this congregation. And you really like me. You brought me back, and I appreciate that. Thank you for the invitation. Uh, either that or you're really desperate, um, and I appreciate your desperation. No, at the same time, uh, as a congregation, uh, I do realize this is a difficult transition, Uh, This is a time that's kind of hard on any congregation that goes through this process, and I do pray for you all often. Uh, Our staff meets on Tuesdays. We do pray specifically for our pastorless churches, and we also pray uh, for the ministries that God will do, the things that God will do through those churches, both during the transition and whenever a new shepherd comes and provides leadership and guidance to the future of your church. So uh, know that you are being prayed for, not just by our staff, but also uh, this morning, I got a text message right, bright and early, uh, usually around 7 o'clock in the morning, I get a message, and he wants to ask a buddy of mine from Eastside Baptist Church in Twin Falls, always ask me on Sunday morning, where am I preaching this week, and how can he pray for me, and I told him specifically about what was going on here, and how he can pray specifically for your church, Falls Baptist Church, here in Idaho Falls, and uh, I, get that, I get that text every Sunday morning, morning, some weeks, I'm just going to my church, I'm just uh, worshiping with my family today, uh, but most of the time, he wants to ask because he knows that I do a lot of traveling and I'm on the roads all often and preaching in places all across Utah and Idaho. And so uh, I do appreciate that friendship with him, and uh, and he's a great friend, and I know that I'm going to be prayed for. And so uh, this message that we're bringing to you today actually comes uh, full, covered, and, and completely uh, wrapped in prayer. Uh, we do know that we do nothing apart from God's will working in and through us. And we, uh, we call upon him to, to work and speak our behalf, because you don't want to hear my opinion, you don't want to hear my word, you want to hear from God's word, and what does God's word have to say, and so that's where we're going to be uh, this morning. As a church consultant, uh, I work in, in the area of revitalization. Uh, I, church, I serve churches and sometimes come alongside many churches that might be dealing with some difficult problems. Sometimes they're churches in transition between pastors. Other times the church is in conflict and and there is some struggle within the, church, the faith family and they need somebody to come along and intervene uh, alongside them and work with them during those processes. And rarely am I ever called in when everything is going well, uh, when, the, when the church is thriving and, and ministry is going, rarely do we get the call at the conventions, hey, can you come preach to us and, and help us do better because we're doing great. Uh, everything's fantastic. And, uh, uh, and there's money in the storehouse and people are coming to Christ and everything's awesome. So oftentimes we get called in when churches are struggling, when churches are dealing with difficulties. And so that's part of the reality of the r- work that I do. I love to see churches who would go from that place to a place of thriving, to a place of dependence upon God and seeing uh, amazing things happen. But the The reality is that oftentimes when I go into these places, the situation is different in a lot of different, in every situation. It's not always the same reason why people might leave the church. Why is a church struggling? Why why are folks uh, departing? There's a lot of different reasons why that is the case. And so it's not always just a simple solution. Sometimes it might require some time, some prayer, some changes to take place in the life of a church. And it is, and like I said, it's not always just one thing. There's many, many times a lot of issues. In fact, uh, Tom Rayner wrote an article, and I, I printed it out. It was from 2019, so this was pre-COVID. Uh, I think this article might have been changed a little bit post-COVID uh, in light of uh, some of the other things that have come out. But Lifeway Research did some research to talk about and answer the question, what are some of the reasons why people leave the church? And, and uh, one of the things that, that it goes through, it talks about all these different ideas and, and, and I'll go over some of them a little bit later on. But the one I want to focus on is the number four reason. And that is one specifically talked about by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And number four reason is they were hurt by the church. Their church hurt is a reality in our community. Although the reality of hurt from church exists, Rayner says to remember the reason we come to the church in the first place. We don't come to church for the people. We come to the church for Christ. Rayner says we get benefits from the fellowship, but our motivation is Christ ultimately. And in our, if our motivation to come is about Jesus and not the people, then our own motivation sh- to leave. Should not be based on people either. However, we do have to understand the difficulty of rising above the pain when dealing with members who have experienced personal hurt from the individual people within the church. And, and the sad truth is that oftentimes the church hurts people. And the reality is that relationships oftentimes become difficult. Whenever you have a faith family gathering together, you are going to have various issues, and you're going to be digging into the weeds of people's lives. And you're going to be interacting with the real-life struggles that people have. And oftentimes, our humanity shows itself. And in that humanity, we oftentimes fall into traps where there is conflict within the church. And most of the time, and specifically in the case of Paul with with the church in Corinth, and These were petty issues. These were not major life transformative issues. These were minor issues that the churches were struggling with. And they were even going so far as to taking their battles or taking their issues to the secular courts. And asking the Roman government judge to be able to tell them what is the right thing to do in in each of these situations. And Paul was looking at that and saying, this is not the way to go. And so that was the situation that the church in Corinth was going through. They were getting so bogged down by the minutiae and the minor issues that were going on and the conflicts that were going on in their faith family, that they, were, they weren't getting along with one another. They were fighting and they were battling. And, and what we find in oftentimes, somebody hurt us or somebody hurt my feelings or somebody said something that I didn't like and I was offended. And, 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 and unfortunately, there are some people who leave the church because of that, because of those conflicts. And, and in reality, oftentimes those things start rather small. It's the relationships that we develop, uh, and, and when, when that, when that hurt comes from somebody that we care about, somebody that we've worshiped with, somebody that we've sat alongside in the trenches doing ministry together, when that hurt comes from them, it hurts a little bit more, doesn't it? It's like when hurt comes from a family member, it hurts a little bit more. The pain is just a little bit deeper. And there are some people who just can't overcome that. And that's why conflicts arise in the relationships. Um, when uh, uh so so what we how are we going to deal with this where uh, how are you going to deal with church hurt or struggles or difficulties and challenges within the faith family whenever we face that. And so Paul addresses that in the, uh, the, the, his letter to the church in Corinth, and that is beginning in, uh, in verse 1 of chapter 6. I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and in the honor of the reading of God's word, I will ask, if you are able to, please stand, uh, and I'll go ahead and be reading from 1 Corinthians, I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible, and I'll be on verse uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. It says if any of you have any dispute against another how dare you take it to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints or don't you know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is judged by you you are unworthy to, uh, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases don't you know that we will judge angels how much more matters of life so, if, you, uh, if such matters do, do you appoint as your judge those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between fellow believers? Instead, brothers go against, uh, uh, goes to court against a brother and, the, and before the unbelievers. As it is, to have illegal disputes against one another is already a defeat to you. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do this to brothers and sisters. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or males who have sex with other males. No thieves, greedy, greedy people, Uh, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God, I ask that you will be with our uh, message time at this moment uh, here at this church, and I just pray that you will be with me as I speak. May I speak the words of truth from your word, and may my opinion and other things be silent, and let your words speak loudly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you. So as we look at these passages, uh, these are some difficult passages. Paul actually addresses some very difficult topics. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago when I was with you all, you recognize that the church in Corinth was a church in crisis. This was a church that was continually conflicting. In fact, when I was with you back on that Sunday, I spoke specifically about the unity of the church and how that was their biggest issue and the biggest problem. And this problem needed to be addressed by the body. And they needed to focus on being more unified, being Understanding of one another and be unified uh, 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 and let the gospel be central. And the truth is, when conflict arises in the church, the gospel takes the back seat. We don't focus on the mission of the church. Rather, we're focusing on our conflict. And, and that's what Paul was basically saying, that you are so distracted by these things that you're not able to thrive. You're not able to do what needs to be done. And my work is not being accomplished through you because you were so busy being stuck in conflict. Because we are human, uh, we will hurt people. We will insult, we will offend, we will betray, and you will be wronged by people. That's a reality. That is going to happen. You are. It's not a matter of if. Paul was not saying if this happens. He says when you have a dispute. If any of you have the dispute against another, how dare you take it to court before the uncontentious and not before the saints. This is going to happen. This is going to take place. It is the reality of human nature. We are going to fail. One another. And as a result of it, what we do about it will matter. What, and, the, and the community and the world at large is watching how the church is going to deal with their problems. Is the church going to take their problems out into the public and air their dirty laundry? Or are they going to keep it in-house, settle the disputes, and move on so that they can grow from it? Uh, Oftentimes, you look at life situations and you find that you oftentimes grow more out of conflict. Your relationships get stronger out of conflict, out of the difficulties, out of the hardships, than rather than when things are all going well. When things are going well, oftentimes we neglect Uh, and and don't think about the issues, but when we're struggling, everything comes out and we can deal with it and we can properly work through it and we are better for it as a result. Some of my best relationships were people who at one point in time, I may have had a conflict with that very gentleman that I spoke about earlier that prays for me every Sunday morning. There was a time when the two of us very much disagreed on a certain topic and the two of us were fighting and bitterly about it. And I really wondered, would we ever be able to come out of this? But we prayed together, we worked together, and we worked through that situation. And even though we don't agree 100% on every topic... We still work together for the uh, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the body. And he holds me accountable, and I hold him accountable as well. And the two of us work together and cooperatively, even though we don't always get along. We don't think exactly alike. We sometimes disagree on certain topics. But God still uses us and still works through us because we're able to work through those conflicts together. We're not asking some arbitrator or some judge to step in and make it all right. If you are part of the body of Christ, you will come, there will come a time when there will be a shot to your pride. And in fact, that's the reality of it. It's not a matter of personal conflict, it's a matter of your pride being abused. Nobody wants their pride hurt. Nobody wants to have their feelings hurt. Pride is a major, major issue. In fact, that's why Paul addresses it later on in this chapter where he says in verse 11 uh, or, or, or verses 8 and 9 where he talks about the greedy, uh, the, the swindlers, and all these other folks. Pride was their major sin I mean pride was what led them to all of those things it was them thinking themselves greater than they are pride is the big problem and when there's a shot to our pride or when somebody might be hurts our feelings we tend to put up our guard and we tend to fight and that's our first response and what Paul is saying there's a better answer there's a better way uh, to go deal with those problems deal with those situations The problems in Corinth were many. Uh, We talked about this when I was with you a few weeks ago. There were issues of sexual immorality in the church. That was in chapter 5, where it talked about specifically a man was literally sleeping uh, with his stepmother. And there were issues of sexual immorality going on in the church. And the church was endorsing it and allowing it to continue. So, those were some of the issues. There was also uh, issues related to eating the food that was given to idols. Uh, And so, some of them who had come out of pagan worship were one. Can I go to my friend's house, who is still a pagan, and he is uh, and he's eating food that was uh, sacrificed to idols? Is it proper for me to eat that food as well? And so Paul will address that later on in his book. There were also issues of conflicts related to the resurrection which is uh, unfortunate that even at the end of this chapter uh, or into of this book, he actually talks about how there were some who did not believe in a bodily resurrection. And so Paul said that's a major issue. That's a major doctrine that we need to address and deal with. And that's where he gives a beautiful, clear presentation of the gospel in chapter 15 where he walks them through the reality of coming out of and recognizing if Christ was not raised, then we are Without excuse, we are to be pitied among all others because the resurrection is so vital. So there was a lot of issues in the church and unity was the major one. And unity stems from, not, lack of unity stems from conflict. And what Paul was saying is this conflict is keeping you from being able to grow, keeping you from being able to thrive, and, and dealing with the difficulties that you were dealing with were all because you were not unified. So how, uh, here, lawsuits uh, were taking place and Christians were suing Christians in secular courts. That's what was going on. Now, if you know anything at all about the Roman and Greek courts that took place in that era, there are readings in and, and teachings about it that Paul would actually go into, this, into the court and when Paul was, oftentimes there was another occasion when Paul was taken to court and they take it to the marketplace and so you can imagine the marketplace would be like the center of town where everybody was doing business and so you would go to the marketplace and you would go buy your groceries and so you walk through town and get your, one person has the cucumber, another person has the lettuce, another person has the meat and you would go gather all your groceries and say okay, I've got a little time left, I'm going to go watch the courts take place and so so that was really what was happening. It was, a, it was an entertainment. Uh, the people in that day actually used the court as a means of having fun. And, the, and their entertainment and the spectacle of the day was to go into the gallery and to determine uh, and, and weigh cases that were taking place under, under the courts. In fact, in the Roman and the Greek courts, there were actually seasons where they would have literally over a thousand people on the jury. You can imagine, we have our juries of seven or juries of 12 in our current civil courts that we have here in society today. But in that day, it was majority rules. And if the majority says this particular thing happens, and they would oftentimes have spectators come in and they would be part of the jury. And then over a thousand people to determine the outcome of a particular case. And now, do you want your all your dirty laundry aired out for all the world to see, and then have your cases determined by a group of a 1,000 people that just heard all the, the, the gory details of your situation and your conflict between one person and another, and everybody hears about it. And then from there, they make a determination as to who is going to be uh, proven innocent and who's going to be proven guilty, or who, who, is the, who is the right party who is going to be, uh, have his rights given to him. And who's going to have their rights taken away? Because for whatever reason, that was how they did it. And in the Roman courts, it was actually a public spectacle. It was something that people went to be entertained by. And so you're holding there with your cucumbers and your lettuce and your meat and everything. And you've got your groceries and you're watching to be entertained. Like going to the movies. You're actually going to be entertained at the courtroom. And you're seeing all this take place right there in the marketplace. That's what the Roman and Greek courts were like. And so now, when you t- see that reality that this is what it was like, now you kind of wonder why Paul, now you kind of get a better picture as to why Paul felt so hurt by the reality that there were church members that were going among each other, taking these minor details, minor issues within them, and taking them to those public courts for all the world to see. What does that say to the gospel? That if you can't handle your own individual situations within the body, and you're taking that out for the public to determine, these people in the public do not believe the same thing you believe. We already talked about how bad the city of Corinth was, how it was such a sinful city and pagan city. They actually had a temple prostitutes, and the temple of Aphrodite was right there in the city of Corinth, overlooking the entire city. This was a city where they would literally have sex as part of their worship. This was part of their fellowship and part of their interaction. This was part of their religion, was, literally pagan lifestyles that were totally contrary to the gospel. And yet Paul was seeing that the people in the church were taking their cases and taking their situations to those judges, to those courtrooms and to those spectacles for all the world to see. And Paul was grieved over what was taking place because it was hurting the message of the gospel and it was hurting the witness of that church. You see, the history of the Jewish courts... um, can be talked, uh, can be summed up in this way. In fact, let me actually read for you a passage that, uh, John Mac, uh, I think John MacArthur actually preached from a message back in 1978. And this was to his congregation. He states this, the Jews did not ordinarily go to the law, uh, to, uh go to law in a public uh, law court. That just wasn't something they did. If they ever had a problem in their every city where there was Jews, there was usually a Jewish synagogue. If you had eleven men, you could have a synagogue. And they would, and if not, they would start one. And so the synagogue would become the kind of court. And the deciding process would be carried on right within the little framework of the Jewish family. They would never take their problems to the pagan world. They were trying to show the world their unity. They were trying to show the world their love. They were trying to settle their own problems so that they so also felt that god uh, that god 's word, the revelation of God, the law of God, the Old testament, and all had all the answers to their problems of life. It also had answers to their family problems and the problems of the social level and cultural and economic level. And, when, and why would they need to go to a pagan court when all the, the answers to their problems was right in the word? And they would use the Old Testament as their guide for that. In fact, Jewish teachers said that to take our problems to a pagan court is the same as blaspheming God. For it is in effect saying that God doesn't have an answer to your problems when in fact it is in their own law. The answer was. There, so that they considered it blasphemy against the divine law of God to ever wind up in a courtroom outside of the fellowship of Jewish people. Now, these were Christians. These were not, some of them were Jews that were converted to Christianity, but for the most part, these were Christians. And so, but the, to the Romans and the Greeks, they looked at the Christians and, said, and thought of them the same way they thought of the Jews. They were allowing the Jews to continue doing their thing. They weren't going to hinder the work of the Jewish church. And, and so the Jews continued to worship the way that they did, and they had their courts the way that they did, and they looked at Christians the same way. They figured Christians, uh, an offshoot, or uh, they came out of Judaism, is where it all started and so as a result they would follow the same law that they would let the Bible speak for their uh, understanding and they would let the Bible address the issues that they were going through and they wouldn't have to come to the public courts. They wouldn't have to go to secular courts and so it's ridiculous that Paul would literally see this was taking place in the church in Corinth. The Romans and the Greek viewed the Christians the same way stating the Jews don't need Roman courts settle it yourself. And so that's oftentimes how their response was. Whenever you have issues, he would the, the courts would literally say, and the judges would say back to the church, don't bring this to me, you guys handle it. In fact, if you remember, if you go back to the time of Christ, when the Jews took the, uh, to the, 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 the mocked up trial that they created during the week of the Passion, and they brought Jesus before the Roman, uh, Roman judge and the Roman leader, And they said, you make a verdict on him because we don't have the power to put somebody to death. And so, But the judge said, hey, I don't have any uh, argument in this uh, dispute. You take him. And it wasn't until they brought up the issue of him declaring to be the king of the Jews that there ever became an issue that the Romans had to deal with. But the reality was that they had to in most part, the Roman government did not want anything to do with ecclesiastical matters. They didn't want to have anything to do with church matters. They wanted the church to settle those issues. Let you guys deal with your problems don't bring them to me and that's what the courts would literally say but so Paul was literally going so far as to say, and, that, and that's what he uses, uh, the Christian standard Bible, your translation might say differently, but he literally says, how dare you? Uh, and that, that's, that, that reads exactly the way that it sounds. He was saying, you stupid people, how dare you? Why do you do that? This is the wrong way to go. This is not the direction you should be doing. How dare you uh, take your things to the, public, uh, to the public entertainment for all of them to see? Um, why would you be justified uh, in appealing? To, uh, why would you be justified? Why? Why? Why would you, the justified, appeal to the unjustified to let them determine your your outcomes? Why would you let those courts determine your uh, your fate when you are justified from the cause uh, because of what Christ did? Why would you do this when the name of wisdom? Um, and of God is in your hands, that you literally have the wisdom of God upon you. Uh, he speaks about that in chapter 2, which I didn't preach to you all. But if you go back and look at chapter 2 of First Corinthians, he actually addresses how you have God's wisdom. You have the mystery of Christ and has given you the wisdom of God to be able to determine right from wrong, to be able to know exactly how you should live. And so as a result, you were taking your stuff to the, to the courts for them to laugh at you and to mock you. And that is not the right thing to do. So uh, two questions uh, related to verse 2. Let's go back to verse 2. Um, here we go. It, uh, or don't you know that the saints will judge the world and if the world is judged by you and you are unworthy, aren't you unworthy, are you unworthy to judge trivial cases? So he literally saying that you will one time judge the world. In fact, there are scriptures that speak about how there will be a time where you would literally stand in judgment over the fallen angels, uh, where you will be responsible for bringing upon their judgment. The You who are redeemed, you will be on the bema seat uh, looking down upon them and casting judgment on them. This there's scripture that speaks about that. And if humanity is going to be able to judge matters uh, of the world, and you have all the wisdom of God given to you in his word, why do you take these things to secular courts to let them decide? First off, Christians will sit in the judgment seat and judge the world. Secondly, Christians will judge angels. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 speaks about that. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 reads... For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and delivered them with chains and utter darkness to be kept for judgment, um, that judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. So if He go in there and says, and deliver them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, that's the judgment that you will stand in. As believers, you will witness and you will observe. You will be in the jury to, make, to bring down condemnation among the fallen until the judgment. You see, Paul did not discredit the Roman courts. He recognized the value of the Roman court system. He wasn't saying that they were dumb. He was just saying that they did not have the answers to the ecclesiastical issues that you were going with, through. So he didn't discredit them. In fact, there were other times when he actually appealed to them using the law and using Roman law in order to, for his case to be to be heard. There were times when they were when a a, a Roman um, was about to beat him and 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 whip him, and he. And he appealed and says, you cannot do that because I'm a Roman citizen. In fact, he used his Roman citizenship and he used the polity of the Roman courts to say a Rome, Roman cannot beat another Roman. Uh, you, if, if he appeals to Caesar, he, we must hear his appeal. And that immediately they stopped everything. They put him back into jail and they brought him before uh, the courts and recognized. And they later had to apologize and release him because they recognized that they were in the wrong there. Here was a Roman citizen and they were treating him like an outsider. And so Paul knows the history. He, he does not discredit the Roman courts. He understands them. And so what does this world, what does, the, what does our witness and what do we do when we take our air, air our dirty laundry and take these issues to the public courts? What are we saying to the world? What is our witness to the world? What are we saying to the community at large, the, 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 the people in whom we are trying to witness to and to bring into our faith family? What does it say to them? Well, I love my, my my grandfather's favorite Bible passage, is Micah six eight, and it specifically speaks. to, He actually gave me a pocket knife one day that actually has Micah six eight read, written on it. I remember one time when I was visiting him at work, and he worked at Lee Dry Goods in Shreveport, Louisiana. And I remember going to there, and I, w- I was up on his desk. I was actually playing underneath his desk as a young a young boy, and I remember picking up one of his business cards, and I wanted to act like my granddad, and so I put on a coat, and I put on a suit, and and he would go around doing business with various stores all across America. Uh, And doing interactions, he would sometimes go to Dallas and, and talk to the owner and the manager of Neiman Marcus and find out how he can supply resources to Neiman Marcus. He would make little trips to New York. He was a businessman in the 1930s and 40s and 50s. And so that's what he did. And so he would travel around doing all those things, and on his business card, on the back of it, there was a Bible passage entitled Micah 6-8, and he lived his life, and he lived his, did his business around this passage of Micah 6-8. Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That was his life verse, and he lived his life and, 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 and did that, did it in such a way that justice and mercy were a part of his lifestyle. And so I always had an idea and a concept, and, and that verse has always gotten close, uh, important to me, and so I would research to discover the importance of justice and mercy and the recognizing that, that God gives us these things and He shows us that. And so when it came time to sort of start relating with churches and start doing consulting with churches, I came to the recognition that there are going to be times when I'm going to be dealing with conflict and dealing with cases where I'm going to have to provide judgment. I'm going to provide wisdom in a given situation. They might be struggling with certain issues. And there actually, unfortunately, there was a church in our own state uh, of Utah, uh, and, and I, I won't name it, but there was a church literally within the state that uh within the state of Utah that at one point in time, there was, a, there was a situation where they had asked the pastor to step down and to leave. Well, he did leave, but he took with him several of the members and began f- forming a Bible study in a group within their own church and eventually got to the point that they said, well, we want the building back. And so they, they went and they started to make efforts to try to take over the building of the church that he just was uh, asked to resign from. And there was conflict within them. And they asked the state convention to come in and step in and provide guidance during that difficulty. And then they ask their local association to step in and provide guidance in the situation. Who is right? Who is wrong? Who gets the access to the, to the money? Who gets the access to the checkbook and allows us to be able to acquire the building and be able to do the work that we do? Who is the real church? And that was a conflict that was going on within our fellowship. And we were looking at this and saying, what does this say to the community where this church is located? What does this say to the people at large who are looking at the, this, this church that where the former pastor and a few members are literally suing to find to get, to gain access to the church building where they were after, and then the church themselves, they're in the wrong by allowing this stuff all to happen and, and going about maybe not, have, not not doing their due diligence when they hired this individual in the first place and so conflict was taking place and so as a result there was challenges and there was difficulties and they went so far as to say well we heard what the state convention said we heard what the local association said and we know what we're supposed to do but we're going to go to court anyway and so they literally went to to the local courthouse and said judge you determine who is really this given church who is really the one and this is happening right within our state and we are looking at this and saying lord have mercy how do we deal with this how do we walk through this with them And the judge is like looking to the state convention saying, can you mediate in this situation? I said, we tried. We honestly tried everything to try to walk with them and got to guide them and give them understanding about how to divide those assets. And we're really not even talking about a whole lot. We're talking about less than $2,000 was in their bank account. That was all that was there. And they were literally going to court. They were going to pay more for one hour of the lawyer than all that was the money that was inside that account that they were fighting for. And the building itself really wasn't that great of a property. There was some, uh, there was deferred maintenance that needed to be done to the building. And so there was a lot of work to be done and it really wasn't one that was worth fighting for, but yet they felt compelled to go through this whole process. And right now they are still in the midst of all this difficulty and challenges. And yet they have not had a Sunday service in many, many weeks. They have not uh, gathered together for fellowship. They are not, they're not. no longer reaching out to the local high school and college campus that they used to do when the church was thriving and the church was following and being obedient. What was happening is the glory of God has been withheld from that body because they are continually going about doing their business the wrong way. They are suing each other and within the body of Christ and asking the world. This is exactly what Paul was saying. Don't do. And I wish I could say there's a happy ending to all this. It's still in conflict. It's still in difficulty. And we pray that at one point in time, we can look at these verses and say, aha, if they actually did it this way, things would be a whole lot better. And this church might actually be able to move on and move forward and see God's work done. But as a result, it is still a church in conflict. You see, the truth is, as it says in verse 7, you've already lost. What does it say in verse 7? As it is, you have illegal disputes against one another, it is already a defeat to you. It doesn't matter who wins. It doesn't matter if your rights are being offended or your rights are being taken, and then you end up declaring your right. It doesn't matter. You're both going to lose. Both of you are defeated in this. You've already lost, even if you win. The name of Christ is, def- is defamed, and the cause of Christ is hindered, and the Christian witness is destroyed. We can no longer, even if this church wanted to get everything right again, would we in good conscience be able to stick a good Christian face? Even if we planted a brand new one in that same building, that witness and that testimony of that church in that community is completely destroyed. And we are not going to be able to use that facility as a ministry site anymore. Even if it did cut, revert back to the state convention, we could not put another church in there because the witness and testimony in the history that has been created is destroyed. And the cause of Christ is destroyed. And it's going to take, uh, I mean, Tons and tons of, uh, of patchwork and kindness and, and, and turning things around in order to win back that witness again. Whenever you destroy that witness, it is so hard to win that reputation back again. You Christians are no better than we are. It says you don't even have anything different than we have. That's what the world is saying when they look at this. They say you Christians are no different than us. You're no better than us. When we have issues, uh, uh, you, you, you struggle too. You, don't, you can't even judge and to your own cases and matters before you, and you force us to, or, to do, your right, do the right thing. What have you got to offer us? And so when the world looks at a church in a conflict that is going to the secular courts in order to determine their cases, they're gonna the, the, the the unbelieving public is going to say, What do you have that, that could benefit me? I don't want that. I don't want to get into your mess. I don't want to waddle in that, that, that yuck and that, that, that those situations. So we're, we're destroying our witness to the world. So Paul has an alternative. And that's the, basically the heart of what I, my message to you today is that there is a better way to deal with it. And one of those better ways would be just take it for the team, take a hit. Be hurt, have your feelings hurt, have, have, be offended, and, and, and let it go. And just just have, your, have, have your pain, have the difficulty, have the challenge, but then let it go. And don't deal with it, don't try to win your rights over. Uh, what does it say And let's see, verse 7b and 8. The second half of verse 7, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do this to brothers and sisters. Why not just be wronged? Why not just be offended and leave it at that? It is better for you to be wronged and have the grace and the mercy, just like my grandfather oftentimes said. He did his business, and sometimes people were going to cheat him along the way. Sometimes people were going to try to find a bargain or find some deal that they can do to try to undercut him of some profit or whatever. And when he looks at that verse and that reminder of Micah 6.8, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God, and just take it. Take one for the team. And that's what he's basically saying here. Take one for the team. For the sake of the gospel, take the loss. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, take the offense. Let it happen. But what about my rights? I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. I am a Christian, so I have rights. And I'm going to stand on those rights. Well, give up those rights for a moment and take one for the team. But, 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 but he started it. Take one for the team. Take one for the team. Be hurt. Have your feelings hurt. But, but, but you don't understand. Take one for the team. Because remember, you have been forgiven by so much more. What does he say in the very next set of verses? These are what he's describing to them in verse 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You who are bitter and you are fighting and you are in conflict, you are going to give up your inheritance in the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And what does he say in verse 11? And some of you used to be like this. You see all these different difficulties and challenges and these sins that we talk about we deal with. Even when I was dealing with in the earlier chapter, because there's no chapters in Paul's letters. We, we stuck the chapters there so we can get to understand. But the previous chapter, he talks about men who sleep with their stepmothers and all these other issues. The whole situation, if you go back and read that passage, it's all about the redemption of that man by going through church discipline by going through and hearing what it needs, what he needs to do to be right with God and right with the church again, to be restored. It's all about him so that he does not be eternally damned and separated from God, but rather he be redeemed and so that there's hope for him, as we're going to see later in chapter 7, where the redemption of that man comes back into the fellowship and he is made right. But as we see here that all these different people, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, all of them, some of you used to be that way too. Look what you've been forgiven of. Here's a list of all the things that you've been forgiven of. Can you just take one for the team? In this one situation, this minor situation. Now, again, I want to make a very clear statement here. I am not talking about situations of abuse. I'm not talking about situations of malfeasance or major difficulties that have happened among you. You might have been physically hurt or real abuse has happened within the church. And I pray that that is not the case for you. But if it has happened, I am so sorry that there was somebody in the church that allowed that to happen to you the grace of God may be upon you, and may you work through it, and may we find the resources in order to provide help during that time. I'm really talking about what Paul was addressing, and these were trivial matters. This wasn't major situational matters. When Paul is saying take one for the team, he's talking about the minor stuff. Just give it up. Don't try to fight for your rights on the minor stuff. Now, when it addresses major issues such as abuse and other situations, when somebody in the church may have hurt you, absolutely do what needs to be done. Bring the secular courts in. If the If the law has been broken, go ahead and do that. That's totally acceptable and totally understandable. In today's culture, I have to say that in this context. I'm not saying just let it go on those situations. On those situations, go ahead and do what is necessary to make it right. But in these situations take one for the team, for the minor stuff, for the hurt feelings, for the, well, he said this and I didn't like what he had to say, or that preacher stepped on my toes by preaching that or telling me to do that and I didn't like it, and so I'm going to leave and go to some other church. What I'm saying is take one for the team and just accept the hurt. It's going to happen. Even good pe- meaning people are going to hurt your, or hurt your feelings and, the, and you're going to be offended. Paul is saying, take one for the team. Remember what you've been forgiven of. All of these things. He says in the verse, uh, verse 11 at the end of that, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the spirit of our God. When I was here a few weeks ago and I spoke with you about all the issues that were going on, and I listed the five different struggles that the church in Corinth were going through, every one of them, the answer to every one of those problems was the gospel. Unity? The answer is the gospel. Sexual immorality? The the answer is the gospel. Um, uh, Battles over food? The answer is the gospel. Battles over um, the Lord's Supper? The answer is the gospel. Battles over the resurrection, the answer is the gospel. The answer is the gospel every single time. And so what he's saying in there is he's taking it back to the gospel in verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. You see, Jesus himself took one so that you could be on the team. You see, Jesus took everything so that you could be on the team. See, Paul is reminding them that remember what you were redeemed from, all of these things that you came out of in order to come to faith in Christ, remember that Christ took all of that upon himself. And then when Christ died on the cross and redeemed you from sin, that Christ literally took one for you so that you could be on the team. You would have no hope of even be on the team in the first place. There'd be no way for you to even be a part of the fellowship of Christ were it not for Jesus Christ dying. He did not deserve it. He did not earn it. If anybody was allowed to be on the team and being judge, jury, and executioner of everybody, Jesus Christ could have done that. But rather he said, I'm going to take that weight of sin upon myself. I'm going to bear that weight on your behalf. And I'm going to weigh it ultimately to the cross. And on on that cross, I'm going to pay the ultimate sacrifice so that you can be on the team. And if you're on the team, you're part of my family. And if you're part of my family, yes, people are going to hurt your feelings. And yes, people are going to have conflict within your fa- that family. But guess what? I'm asking you to show a little grace. Show a little mercy. Show a little love towards one another and walk that journey with them and recognize that I might be with you throughout that whole, pro- or I will be with you throughout that whole process. I'm promising that in scripture where Jesus says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a promise that Christ is going to be with us and the Holy Spirit is going to work through us dealing with these difficulties. The truth is church hurt is real. Church hurt does happen. People in the church will hurt you. People in the church will offend you and at, over time, when you get this many people together, you get this, that many issues going on within the church there is going to be conflict at some point in time go through it walk through it together ask the church to find in scripture what the true answers are to those situations and deal with it the way that God designed it to be where the church themselves deals with their issues and we walk that journey together and we are better for it in the end where we grow in our walk with Christ and we grow in our understanding of the grace that God has given us and we rest and we bask and we thrive in that grace that God has provided you see, Christ took one so that you could be on the team. If you are in this place, and for whatever reason, you might not be on that team. You might not be called redeemed. You not, might not be part. You, you might just be visiting this church, and this is just the first time here, and you're thinking, who is this guy up here telling me what to do? Well, the truth is, you're not a part of the team. And if you're not a part of the team, it's because you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But there's an opportunity for you to do that right now. And then so in a moment, the music is going to play. We're going to sing a hymn entitled Without Him. And I'm going to encourage you, read and study the lyrics of that hymn. Without him, I can do nothing. Without him, I would be in chains. You see, without him, without Christ, without Christ literally doing what Christ did on the cross, none of us have any hope. None of us have any opportunity to be on the team, a part of the fellowship where we can build relationships with one another, where we can relate. And where the kingdom of God can be glorified and honored and his name can be praised. We want Falls Baptist Church to have an impact in this community. Then we need to take care of our issues within the church so that the community doesn't see that, that dirty laundry. Now I pray that there isn't conflict within the church. But the reality is it's going to happen. You're going to have different opportunities where people are going to hurt your feelings. It's going to happen. Take one for the team. And walk that journey together so that God can be glorified. Uh, Let's pray together and we will have our our, uh, closing hymn. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And I thank you for the reminder that you have given us that we are all fallen people. And we have all come from somewhere. We have all been broken. We have all gone astray and done our own thing. But because of what Christ did on the cross for us. And because the sacrifice that he made, we are redeemed. We are a part of his family. And because we are part of that family... We need to relate to one another as family and walk that journey together, dealing with our difficulties, dealing with our challenges, and walking together to see the grace of God manifested in each one of us. I pray that as we go about today and we go about our week, that we look for opportunities to bring honor and glory to you in everything that we say and in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand if you will.
0: 300 and